This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the bowtie bandit of blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today, we're talking about the deadliest creature in the world. Surprisingly enough, it's also one of the smallest creatures in the world. So we'll discover about this insect and uh, what types of infections they can cause, how these illnesses are diagnosed and treated, along with a few other interesting facts along the way. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Ellie Thiel, the Director for Infectious Diseases Serology Lab and co-director of the Vector Borne Diseases Service Line at Mayo Clinic. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Thiel. Thank you. This is exciting. So uh, what is the deadliest uh, animal in the world? Well, it's actually not an animal, but rather um, an insect. And more specifically, um, the deadliest creature are actually mosquitoes. Um, so while they don't directly cause deaths, um, they transmit various different viral and parasitic infections um, to humans that collectively lead to about 725,000 deaths um, every year. And then to kind of put that in perspective, the next most common, or I should say the next deadliest animal um, is maybe not as surprising, it's, it's us uh, humans, uh, causing about 475,000 deaths a year. Um, and then finally, because we like facts, the next most deadliest <laughs> animal, the third deadliest animals uh, is actually snakes with 50,000 deaths annually. So mosquitoes are a huge burden on, um, on, on human well, mortality. <laughs> for me too, as a, as a transfusion medicine physician, mm -hmm. mosquito-borne illnesses uh, wreak havoc in my yes. life. As, uh, as, as you know, many of them are what we uh, test for in donated blood and can mm -hmm. make somebody not eligible to donate so that we can keep our, our patients uh, safe from these diseases. So yep. how, how many types of mosquitoes are there out there? So a lot. There's over 40 different um, genre of mosquito, over 2,500 different species. Um, but when it comes down to it, there's really three genre that are associated with the majority of human infections. Um, and those include Anopheles species mosquitoes, which transmit um, malaria and various different um, filarial infections. Um, and then also um, Culex species mosquitoes, um, which transmit um, most commonly West Nile virus infection. And then 80 species mosquitoes, which have gained notoriety because they transmit Zika, dengue, and, and, um, and chikungunya viruses. So... Um, I guess a couple of things to um, note is with the Anopheles mosquitoes transmitting malaria. Um, malaria is associated with 600,000 of the 725,000 um, deaths annually. So it's... Wow. Yes, a heavy hitter. It's a heavy hitter for sure. Um, so, and then it leaves another 200 million people incapacitated for, for days and, and weeks. So it's really an astounding number. 
Wow. So with mosquitoes, why are they why are they biting us? Why are they um, why are they such a plague why for do us they humans? Love us? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's really only the females that bite. So males are nice and tame. They just drink nectar from flowers. Um, but the female mosquito um, needs the blood mostly for its protein content, so that it can um, supply that protein to its eggs. Um, so, uh, so it detects humans or mammals or, or birds or other, um, animals, I guess, by detecting their, their released carbon dioxide, lactic acid from perspiration and, and those, those sorts of things. So that's how they find us. This makes sense. I was just camping this weekend with my two daughters. <laughs> we were looking up at the sky through the, through the netting of the mm-hmm. tent and we could see these, the swarm of mosquitoes yes. uh, overhead. And I was glad to have that, that screen that of the tent. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 a problem, especially this time of year. So now we're talking about these mosquitoes. They're some of the deadliest uh, insects out there. Uh, what types of infections do they cause? Yeah, all all sorts. So in the United States, the most common um, infection transmitted by mosquitoes is a viral infection, probably well known to most of the listeners, West Nile virus. Um, so last year alone, there were um, over or nearly 3,000 cases of West Nile, um, and then an additional about 1,400 of neuroinvasive uh, West Nile cases. Um, so also endemic in the U.S., though, are St. Louis encephalitis virus, um, as well as lacrosse virus and eastern equine encephalitis virus. Um, and um, so that's kind of what we think about when we think about mosquito-borne viruses in the U.S., um, Around the world, in Central and South America, we're really more cons- uh, more concerned about Zika virus, uh, dengue, and chikungunya viruses. Uh, those also circulate in other parts of the world, but then in, in Africa, Asia, Central, um, well, Africa and Asia mostly, uh, we then also have the added um, concern for, for malaria, as we talked about. So those are kind of the the uh, biggest heavy hitters. And I should also uh, mention various um, uh, filarial uh, species in in Africa. So those are kind of the, the, when we think about mosquito-borne diseases, those are kind of the key heavy hitters that we um, routinely consider. Yeah, those are some that come up in in my practice as well, the the West Nile, the Eastern Equine. There's all these acronyms that come up. Uh, I hope that I'm not (laughs) the only one that struggled keeping all these uh, viruses straight Mm -hmm. and honestly i I still sometimes have have trouble with keeping them straight what advice do you give to students learners that are they're trying to get their arms around this topic so i think the most important thing to consider is where the patient has traveled and what is endemic um, in that region Um, for example if the patient has not left the continental united states i would not test them for zika dengue or chikungunya virus. Um, you know, you run the risk of false positives, but then a lot of these viruses, as we'll talk about, um, can lead to cross-reactivity because of their similar antigenic nature. So you can go down a rabbit hole if you test incorrectly. Um, so I think understanding the endemicity of where these mosquito-borne infections are is really critical to um, 
kind of narrowing down your differential diagnosis. So how, how does somebody make that diagnosis? Uh, like you said, you brought up the idea that you want to make sure and, and test for what you are really have a high degree of suspicion for right. so that you're not getting a false positive that's a, a red herring right. and leading you in the wrong direction. So how can you use lab testing to mm -hmm. keep on the right track? So um, there's really two main diagnostic methods that are used for diagnosis of these infections, and they are molecular testing by PCR um, and then serologic testing, so looking for detection of antibodies, so the human immune response to these infections. And determining which of these methods to use is largely dependent on the duration of patient symptoms. Mm. So for example, if you have a patient um, that has traveled to, let's say, Mexico, and they come back and they've um, been symptomatic for you know three to four days, you're going to want to test using a molecular assay because at that point, the patient is likely still viremic, so that virus is still circulating in their body, so they'll be, it'll be able to be detected by PCR. Um, using serologic methods that early on after symptom onset really doesn't make sense because the patient, the individual, just hasn't developed a strong enough humoral immune response to detect antibodies to, this, to, to, um, to the agent. So after that initial acute stage, which we define up anywhere from about five to seven days post-symptom onset, after that, we'd recommend using serologic methods, so looking for IgM and IgG class antibodies to the um, to the pathogen. And I, I actually we jumped a little bit ahead um, because you know we're talking about symptomatic patients, but I think it's important to remember that for most of these mosquito-borne viral infections, the vast majority of individuals are entirely asymptomatic. Mm. Um, so, for example, for West Nile virus, only about 15 to 20 percent of those infected will have um, some sort of uh, clinical manifestation. For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. Hearing you talk about the testing that you do when you do it, you're, you're giving me flashbacks to my first year of medical school, learning about immunology mm. and, you know, how our uh, mm -hmm. immune system is responding and why in those first couple of days, like you say, of an infection, you're looking for the virus itself. Yes. Later on, you know, you might be looking then at your immune response, first right. starting with IgMs, later following with IgGs. IgG. Mm -hmm. I know for some people, you know, <laughs> maybe some of that is, is a little bit more remote. So I imagine you get phone calls uh, from physicians from time to time. And I was wondering if just for some of our listeners, you can kind of highlight what are some of those frequent calls yeah. that as a, a laboratory director uh, you're, you're handling? Yeah, so um, a couple of common calls. Uh, one of the ones I like to highlight is um, a patient with the result of an IgM-only positive uh, for, let's say, West Nile virus. Um, so in these um, scenarios, the question that comes up is, okay, I have an IgM positive. I want to confirm it. I want to mm -hmm. confirm it's West Nile virus. Should I do a PCR? 
should I do something else? Um, so typically the, the response is PCR is not recommended at that point because they are now, they've mounted an immune response. So the viral load in the host and the patient is probably pretty low and not going to be detected by PCR. So we wouldn't want to do that. Um, what they can do, however, is um, do a repeat testing to look for seroconversion to IgG. Um, so that's one way to do it. Although an IgM positive result in a patient with appropriate symptoms um, presenting at the appropriate time of year um, in an endemic area, which is throughout the United States, um, that is sufficient to diagnose them with a West Nile virus infection, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one common question. Um, another one is, you know, I tested my patient for Zika virus and uh, they were negative. Does that exclude, or I should say, I tested my patient by PCR for Zika virus and the PCR was negative. Does that exclude infection? Um, and the, um, the answer is tricky. So typically if the patient um, is, has been symptomatic and they present within the first seven to 14 days and the result is negative, um, chances are they are truly not infected with Zika. But if you've tested them past that 14 days, a negative PCR really can't be used to rule out infection. Again, for that same reason that the viral load may just be um, undetectable. Um, so at that point, again, we'd recommend recommend serology. So I think it's important for providers to just remember that in the acute stage, you want to rely more on PCR molecular methods, whereas in the later stages after about five to seven days of symptoms, we really want to use serology to make the diagnosis. So assuming somebody's uh, getting the diagnosis, gets it right, are these diseases treatable? Good question. So malaria and filarial infections are treatable. Um, for malaria, though, it's, it's important to identify the species as well as the um, location where the patient was infected because there is emerging resistance depending on, on the geography. Um, so for... Um, so, to, yeah. sorry, to figure out yeah. about the species, is that something that you're figuring out in the lab or is that something that the clinician is... Good good point. So we would figure that out in the lab. So um, for, malaria, for diagnosis of malaria, we are strictly relying on PCR, molecular assays, and or blood smears. So we can identify the species level and then using a blood smear, we can identify parasitemia or determine the parasitemia uh, which is important for monitoring of, of treatment response. I should say there are um, uh, antigenic or assays to detect uh, malaria antigens that are available, rapid lateral flow type assays. The problem with those is they have some limited sensitivity. Um, also, they do not determine, um, they don't identify the infection to the species level. Mm. Um, and they don't provide a, a parasitemia. So, you know, they're useful in the acute setting, uh, low-income country, um, developing nation setting, but they are imperfect. So mm-hmm. that's just something to, um, to consider. Um, and then kind of getting back to the treatment question for the mosquito-borne viruses, unfortunately, there's really no targeted treatment at this point. It's all um, entirely supportive care. I see. So supportive care for the diagnosis. We're talking about viruses primarily mm-hmm. here. Uh, what about vaccines for them? Yeah, good question. So um, there 
has not been a vaccine for anything until very recently. Um, the FDA actually approved a vaccine for dengue virus. Um, its um, use is pretty restricted. Uh, interestingly, it's only to be used in um, kids between 9 and 16 years of age. Um, and um, only if those children have been diagnosed with dengue virus in the past. Um, so in that population, use of this vaccine is, um, has been associated with an efficacy rate of about 76% at preventing um, a, a, a severe dengue infection due to a secondary um, dengue virus infection or a repeat dengue infection. Mm -hmm. um, for all the others, they're still in the works. Uh, there's a malaria, Zika, um, dengue virus, or excuse me, malaria, Zika, and, and chikungunya vaccines. Um, that are currently being worked on. So on a, as a bloody banker outsider <laughs> looking in a little bit, I mean, it seems like it's a very dynamic uh, field. Yes. Kind of curious about your foresight for what are you seeing as really kind of the future trends that are, that are coming about for this world of uh, mosquito-borne disease? Yeah. So, you know, right now in uh, clinical microbiology, next-generation sequencing assays are kind of the trendy hot new assay to, to, to look at for, you know, identification of, of various infections. Um, and that, that method, you know, does work pretty well for, for many agents. Um, unfortunately, it does not seem to work quite as well for mosquito-borne um, viruses, largely because of that low viral load um, and um, the, the timing between when the sample is collected compared to symptom onset. So there's mm -hmm. been an interesting study um, that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine a couple of months ago um, showing that NGS assays really missed a number of West Nile virus infections. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's unfortunate uh, because it, it, it is a really great method, but not perfect for for everything well, um, certainly brilliant to appreciate i mean next generation is mm -hmm. is something that holds a lot of promise to it but mm -hmm. i think as you're pointing out for us it's not a panacea and we still have to be keep our brains switched on be right. cognizant about what's the clinical context right right um so i don't think targeted molecular assays or targeted serologic assays are going away anytime soon for uh, mosquito-borne infections <laughs> Well, because I still want to take my daughter's camping, let's just close out with that. Can you tell me what are your recommendations for how do I keep myself and my daughters safe and uh, potentially eligible blood donors? Oh, yes. Um, so obviously you... Um, one of the first things to consider is just protecting exposed skin. So wearing long-sleeved clothing is, is, uh, is recommended. Um, depending on where you travel and the risk of infection, you might want to treat your long-sleeved clothing with permethrin, which is an insect mosquito repellent. Um, also, just um, regular mosquito repellent, or really any insect repellent that you'd spray on, on your body or rub on your body contain, uh, containing various um, EPA-approved Ingredients like DEET or, or other such um, things is recommended. Um, and then also avoiding the high mosquito biting times. So one thing we didn't talk about. What's, when's that? Yes. <laughs> so one thing we didn't really talk about is that mosquitoes have different biting patterns depending on the, the genus. So some bite at dawn and dusk. Others bite just during the night. 
Um, so here in the U.S., the ones, the 80s and Culex species mosquitoes are more, mostly dawn and dusk afternoon biters. Um, so, you know, avoiding those times as well is, is recommended. And then the final thing I'd say with um, respect to prevention is that um, it's actually recommended that if you have traveled to um, um, elsewhere outside of the United States and you've acquired a lot of mosquito bites, you may be asymptomatic but you might still have something circulating, um, Zika or, or dengue or something. Um, and you, if, when you come back to the U.S., you may not show symptoms, but if a naive mosquito bites you here, they might get infected and then be able to spread the infection to other humans here in the U.S. So that's how localized outbreaks occur. So the recommendation is that after you come back from international travel to actually avoid getting mosquito bites in the U.S. for at least three weeks by using long-sleeved clothing and, and mosquito repellent. <laughs> I'm always going to be following your <laughs> advice, uh, Dr. Thiel. But I, I think, you know, that also just kind of brings us full circle in this idea of, you know, um, although we may not have uh, specific uh, treatment modalities for these uh, diseases, we need to be cognizant of them so that we're diagnosing the ones that certainly are symptomatic mm -hmm. so that we can be aware of what's the epidemiology so that we can keep the older uh, people in our communities mm -hmm. and people that are susceptible uh disease free. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Thiel. We've been rounding with Dr. Thiel about mosquito-borne infections, including how they are diagnosed, how they're treated, and what we can do to prevent them. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this topic with us. Be sure to check out the CDC's website on mosquito-borne diseases at www.cdc.gov and search for vector-borne diseases. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations. Thank you.